Three perverts have become the first thruple of men all to be listed on a baby's birth certificate. How? Which one of them went through labor? Which one pushed? Uh, it's a little complicated. Buckle up for the most disturbing story that you have heard since Tiger King. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment from yesterday is from Old Schooled, who points out that the left says, Mother Earth gives us life. And the left also says, not all people who give birth are women. That's true. You currently have a very famous Catholic priest misgendering God himself. Uh, so uh, surely we can misgender Mother Earth. Maybe it's Daddy Earth. Maybe, maybe Earth is not just a single mother or daddy, but a thruple. Maybe we're the child of this... Uh, inanimate, earthly, I don't know. It's very, very complicated childbirth these days and uh, being raised in a culture that has completely lost its common sense. In such a culture, you're going to want to protect yourself. You can do that with LifeLock. If you use a free VPN, virtual private network, for increased privacy when online, you are probably going to want to reconsider. Free VPNs have been known to harvest data and may expose your personal information. This could make you vulnerable to identity theft. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. In an instant, a cybercriminal could take what's yours, your hard-earned money, your credit, your reputation. Good thing, here's LifeLock. LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats, like your social security number, for sale on the dark web. I used to think that that no one's really after my data, right? I'm sure you think this too. Oh, they're after someone else's data. They're, they're not mine. When you realize how much of your information is available on the internet, information you thought you never gave out, you realize that this is a very serious threat. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can keep what's yours with LifeLock Identity Theft Protection. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year by going to lifelock.com slash That is lifelock.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S to save 25% off. I did not believe this headline when I first saw it. I assumed that this was a sensationalist headline and that the story would actually be a little more anodyne than, than the headline would make it out to be. But actually it's the opposite. The, the, the story just gets worse and worse and worse the more you read it. Headline in the Washington, or in the New York Post rather. Gay Polly Thruple makes history lists three dads on the birth certificate. A gay polyamorous California thruple. I, I have to say the only part of this story that I don't hate is the word thruple because it's kind of funny. The reality, not so funny, but the word, it's funny to say thruple. A gay polyamorous California thruple made history in 2017 when they became the first family in the state to list three parents on a birth certificate. Their reproductive journey and legal battle to become fathers to Piper, now three, is detailed in Three Dads and a Baby out March 9th written by one of her dads, Dr. Ian Jenkins. These three perverts' names are Ian Jenkins, Jeremy Hodges, and Dr. Alan Mayfield. Doctors. So they're all, look, they're very elite people. They're, they're experts. They're, there's no reason to question their degenerate behavior. Uh, they don't see their family, which now also includes their son, Parker, as unusual. Look, it's not a big deal, okay? And then they go on and explain uh, why this kind of uh, child abuse is not a big deal. Love is love, right? Love is love. Love is love. By the logic of love is love, this makes some sense. I, I said this at the time when people were talking about redefining marriage and they were trying to turn it from a basic question about the nature of marriage 
to a question about civil rights and what you hate gay people and what you're a mean old guy or something. I, I said by the logic that is being pushed here, there is no limiting principle. Scalia made this point too. I mean, the, the conservatives at the, the actual conservatives at the time of the Obergefell decision made this point. They say this has nothing to do with animus for anybody because of sexual desires or anything like that. We're simply asking what is marriage? If marriage has gone from being a natural union of husbands and wives for the, for the sort of telos of family creation, procreation, uh, the basic political institution, if it, if it goes from that, and then you take away the entire sort of telos, the, the entire purpose of that, the, the entire uh, historical understanding of marriage and the natural purpose of it, and it just means love is love, then there's no reason that it should only include two people. Forget the, even the question of men or women. It, there's no limiting principle. You could have 10 people in a marriage if it's, all, if it's all just about love is love. And look, they love having a baby. So what, are you going to limit that? Uh, what are you, Selfish? This also shows the question uh, to be a complete, completely ridiculous argument when sometimes you'll hear mostly libertarians, but sometimes conservatives will say this. They'll say, look, I don't want the government involved in marriage anyway. The government is involved in marriage in part, not least of all, to prevent this kind of child abuse. But the government failed to prevent that kind of child abuse. Sure, because conservatives and libertarians basically pulled away from the entire debate and said, we don't want to use the government. We don't want to use our political power. We don't think that we should stop the left from running roughshod over our culture anyway. So we've just handed the reins of power over to the left. We shouldn't be surprised when they abuse that power. But the state obviously has a role in this. If the family is the basic political institution, then obviously any political organization from the local to the national level is going to have some interest in that institution. This is the most selfish thing I have seen maybe ever, certainly the most selfish big news story I've seen ever. Some people are saying, Michael, you don't know if the child's going to be abused. You don't, and I'm, I'm not saying that the, the guys are all like the Marquis de Sade and they're all going to start doing all sorts of heinous things to the baby. I'm saying this is the abuse. This, the, the whole thing is the abuse. Initially, what, what it seemed like these three people were going to do, these three men, was that they were going to adopt a, a fertilized embryo, so a little little miniature baby that are that was frozen through various other bioethically not totally sound reproductive practices, and so they were going to adopt it, implant it into a surrogate, rent some woman's womb, have the baby grow, and then uh, that would be the baby. And that would that would be bad enough. But it actually is a bioethically different question because the embryo already existed. The baby was already created and then thrown in a freezer like happens all too often today. But then that didn't work. A according to this story, the, they tried that a few times and the, the babies died, basically. The little tiny embryos died. And so what they did was their, quote, a friend named Megan came to the rescue and donated her eggs to the trio. So what these guys did was they went out and they created a baby for the express purpose of denying that child the ability to know her mother ever, and then to be raised in a perpetual orgy. That's what they, love is love, right? 
This is the real tiger. I don't mention it only because I think this should be illegal and these men should be in prison in a just society. Obviously not in our society, but in a just society, that would be the case. But that's not the only reason I mention it. The reason I mention it has a broader cultural and political point. This is Tiger King. What the dominant liberal elite wants us to believe is that Tiger King, you know, the, the kind of the, the kind of crazy behavior and the sexual bizarre arrangements and all this kind of selfishness, that that happens on a, on a tiger farm in Florida. You know, it's Florida man. It's the guy, Joe Exotic with the mullet and he talks funny and he smokes a lot of meth or whatever. And he's in a, he's in this exact relationship. He's in this sort of gay thruple. Uh, no, the real tiger King culture happens with our elites. These guys are, these are medical doctors, right? I think so. Maybe they're just using the term doctor a little more broadly than that, but You've got two doctors. These guys have advanced education. They seem to be fairly well off because these processes are pretty expensive. They are engaging in, in far more egregious behavior than any Florida man like Joe Exotic ever did. The depravity of our culture does not come from the deplorable, irredeemable, bitter clinging people in the middle of the country who voted for that fascist Trump. The depravity, far greater depravity, comes from the liberal elite that pretends to be so much better than us that tells us how to live our lives. Think of the children is an overused line and it is often exploited by demagogues. So I try to avoid the line. You know, I don't want to sound like the lady in the Simpsons. Won't somebody please think of the children. However, there are some circumstances where you actually need to think of the children. Think of what a selfish monster you have to be to do this to a baby. I mean, I'm saying, I'm now seeing a baby like quite a lot and a baby's keeping me up quite a lot. A baby has a, a, a right to his parents. Sometimes, you know, obviously kids are in bad circumstances and kids can be adopted in certain ways. Let's not forget, of course, that there are something like 32 couples trying to adopt for every baby up for adoption in the United States. But this is a totally different, to create a baby, to deny the baby his mother, to put them, to put these babies into this bizarre, selfish sexual situation absolutely outrageous. Tommy Tuberville, new Republican senator, made this point on the Senate floor. He said, you know, there, there are times in this country, uh, even if the line is overused, when you do have to think of the children. We've got to start teaching our young people moral values again. That starts with putting God and prayer back in our schools. Our kids need structure and they need to learn right from wrong. I've watched everything that has happened in education over the past few decades. From a front row seat on my sideline as a coach, it's embarrassing. As a person who chooses to spend their career in education, I now have the opportunity to say something as a United States Senator. Our young people are our number one hope for this country's future. If we don't recognize that, we're going to lose our country as we know it. So what, what Tommy Tuberville is saying here, it's not some emotionally manipulative play. He's just, he's stating a truism, right? The children, the children are the future in as much as we're born, we grow, we die. And then the next generation rinses and repeats, right? So when you look, I, I've been saying this for years, when you look at a university campus, it's not like that's some little zoo and then the kids are going to get fixed when they get into the real world. 
you're looking at the future. You're looking at a crystal ball for your country. So if children are educated to exercise their moral conscience, practice the virtues, learn their nation's history, love their country, and uh, develop their faculties of higher learning, their, their higher reason, that is going to lead to one kind of a country, a good country. If, on the other hand, kids are not taught even sort of the rudimentary things that will help develop their faculties of reason, and they're also taught a bunch of cockamamie left-wing theories about how terrible their country is and about how awful conservatives are or something and how awful the founding fathers are, if they're taught that they can't even discern right and wrong, that you can't trust your moral conscience, if, if you're taught that uh, you, you can't make judgments from the, the natural world, you can't make ethical judgments, then you're going to have a different kind of country. You're going to have Tiger King country, which these three perverts are showing us pretty clearly. If you want to listen, you know, it seems to me like we're kind of an underdog country at the moment. The uh, hope to have a really good thriving country is an underdog battle right now. If you want to listen to a true underdog story, you got to check out True Underdog Podcast. Raised in a trailer park with no clear path to success, kicked out of high school multiple times and faced with becoming a father in his teens, Jason Waller is the definition of a true underdog. After hearing the words no or you can't too many times, he unleashed the power within to start three successful companies with his most recent venture, Power Home Solar, skyrocketing on a path to becoming a billion dollar enterprise. Join us as Waller, a four-time entrepreneur of the year winner, shares motivational tips and inspiring stories and business building lessons from the ground up. He shares his life experiences and that of his high profile guests to help others better themselves. As Waller will tell you, there is no elevator to success. That climb only happens one step at a time. Let every true underdog podcast be that step that elevates you. Scared money won't make money. Learn about failure. Learn about entrepreneurship. Learn about never quitting or making excuses. It's real. It's raw. It's motivational. Check out True Underdog Podcast at trueunderdog.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. Go check it out right now. If children are the future, unfortunately, we're getting some bad news from the schools because the schools are going in the other direction. They are totally failing students. That is nothing new. But they're actually accelerating the, their efforts to fail students and therefore fail our nation's future. This from Boston Public Schools, canceling advanced classes because, why? Because of COVID? No, it's actually not because of COVID. Because of some issue with the curriculum? No, it's not the curriculum. Boston Public Schools are canceling the advanced classes because the students who make it into those classes are considered too white and too Asian. Fourth, fifth, and sixth graders will not be accepted into advanced placement classes in Boston for the next year because most of the students, a majority of the students, are white or Asian. Uh, this program, it's called the Advanced Work Classes, will suspend enrollment because of, quote, concerns about equity. This is what we have been told, this has become a cliche about the left, that the left uh, wants not to bring up the people who are not doing as well, but they want to bring down the people who are doing well. And in this case, they're doing it through a process of explicit racial discrimination. And they'll, they'll 
defend it because they have these theories about white supremacy and they tell people that white people are bad and you know, they, they push a sort of national I- ideology, a governing ideology of white guilt. But what about the Asians? <laughs> you know, even if, if let's just say that the ideology of white guilt is so ingrained that it's going to be really hard to fight against it and, and it's evil, but you can understand why this sort of thing is being allowed in schools. What did the Asians ever do? There, there's no ideology of Asian supremacy or Asian guilt. Why do these kids not get to go to their advanced classes? Because other students of other races don't do as well on the placement tests. Why are you going to punish the kids? Why are you going to hold them back? That is a national pathology. Uh, John Brennan, who didn't, I think he voted for a communist for president once. Seriously, I'm, I'll, I'll have to double check that. I always, I always confuse Brennan and Clapper. But this guy, really awful, awful sort of uh, Obama era official. Brennan goes on MSNBC and describes the guilt that he feels, the shame that he feels, not for all the terrible things he did and all the stupid opinions he holds. No, he feels the guilt and shame because of his race and his sex. Well, I must say to Claire's point, I'm increasingly embarrassed to be a white male these days. And what a... <laughs> Light of what I see of my other white males saying. Wow. Oh my gosh. So brave. Wow. So brave. And you can see this woman. She's one of the worst on MSNBC. I, swear, I forget her name. Is it Nicole Wallace? She's giggling. Oh yes. <laughs> That's right. Talk more about those awful white men. Oh, we have to take them and throw, defenestrate them. We need to throw them bodily out of our country in the name of racial and sexual equality. <laughs> pathetic. It's very pathetic. Uh, John Brennan is a, a pathetic man, uh, but uh, it's not just him who holds this view. This has become a uh, part of the national narrative. The, 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 this, this idea that uh, men are bad and white people are bad has really broken into the mainstream from the fringes of the left. Now it's, it's pretty, pretty mainstream. This narrative has been growing for a while, and it's, it's, the, it's sort of the lens through which we see a lot of our our political history. Barack Obama actually worked this kind of racial narrative into his biography from his earliest days. He's now doing this absolutely insufferable podcast with Bruce Springsteen, which somehow those two guys bad enough in themselves make each other worse. Somehow the, the sum is worse than the individual parts. But Barack Obama was describing at this time that he was in, in school in Hawaii and some kid called him a racial slur, and he broke his nose. When I was in school, I had a friend. We played basketball together. And one time we got in a fight, and he called me a c- mm. Now, first of all, ain't no c- in Hawaii, right? So, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's one of those things where he might not even know what a c- What he knew was, I can hurt you yeah. by saying this. <laughs> and I remember... I popped him in the face and broke his nose. And, and we were in the locker room. Well done. And suddenly blood's <laughs> pouring down. And it was just reactive. I just, yeah. I said, what? And I popped him. And he said, why'd you do that? <laughs> and I explained to him, I said, don't you ever call me something like that. Okay. Uh, Alex, I'll take uh, things that never happened for 500, please. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying nothing like this ever happened, but Politicians have a habit of exaggerating stories over time. 
uh, Obama in particular, Biden for sure does that. Barack Obama already told a version of this story in his first book, which was actually a pretty good book, Dreams from My Father. Have to hand it to him. I, I wouldn't, I'm not saying run out to the store and go read it, but it's better than the other stuff he's written and said in his career. And in that version of the story, he just gave the kid a bloody nose. Now you see it's being heightened. He, he broke his nose. Okay. All right. Fine. Maybe, maybe something like this happened. This narrative, because the kid said a racial slur, everyone's reaction to that is, well, that's, that's justified. And I actually sort of think if someone really starts using fighting words, this sort of thing, uh, one, one has their limits on what they're going to take. And a culture that understands chivalry and honor once understood that. William F. Buckley Jr., as, as mainstream a conservative as ever there was, uh, had been called a Nazi by Gore Vidal for the umpteenth time on national television. And he famously said, using a slur, not for black people, but for uh, homosexuals, he said, uh, listen, you queer, stop calling me a crypto Nazi or I'll smash you in your face and you'll stay plastered too. So, uh, you know, even, even as mainstream a conservative as that would, would say, yeah, there are limits. Don't, don't use these fighting words. The, the point though that Obama makes that I think is really important here is the kid didn't call Obama that word because the kid hates black, hated black people. Right. And Obama's admitting that he, he makes this point. He says, there ain't no slurs for black people in Hawaii. If you're in Hawaii, you're kind of in a different social milieu. It's just a different context. The kid called Obama that word, whether in Obama's fantasies or whether some event like that happened in real life, because the kid was angry at Obama and he knew that that word would hurt him. I, I have on rare occasion, you know, Italians don't get called a lot of slurs in America anymore. They used to, they don't really anymore. Uh, unless you're Chris Cuomo and you get called Fredo and you pretend that that's a, an Italian slur. Uh, but there have been a couple times in my life I've been called an Italian slur. And I don't think it's because the people who called me that hate Italians. I don't think people really harbor deep-seated hatred for Italians really anymore. Uh, they called me that because I, I did something that they didn't like or they were just angry at me. And so they said, okay, what can I hit? I, I can attack him for being a dude. I can attack him for being Italian. I can attack him for being just so, so handsome. I don't know. I don't know what was going through their mind. This I think is very important when we talk about racism and thisism and thatism. Not everything is a systemic institutional problem. Sometimes people just don't like you and they're going to try to hurt you and that's wrong, but it doesn't speak to a broader pathology or a broader bigotry in this country. And I think that as masculinity is also now castigated as toxic, people are losing sight of this. Men talk to each other in a rough way. And sometimes they're earnestly rough and sometimes they're jokingly rough. I remember one time I was in college and in my suite, you know, all the guy with different rooms kind of connected to a common room. We were all just, we were mean to each other. We were good, very good friends. We were all saying mean things to each other. One time there was a young lady who was visiting our suite and uh, she heard the way we talked to each other. She said, oh my gosh, do you hate each other? I said, why are we talking about? We're good friends, probably better friends than most people on this campus. That is something I think important to keep in mind because we're about to hear a whole lot about institutional racism and systemic bigotry because the trial of Derek Chauvin, the police officer who was involved in the death of George Floyd, that's about to take place in Minneapolis. And 
the city of Minneapolis seems to be gearing up uh, for World War III. I mean, you thought that what they did at the Capitol in Washington, D.C. after the January 6th riot was intense. They are locking this place down in Minneapolis as though it is a fortress. Why? Because maybe the facts of the case are going to show that the BLM narrative that justified burning down cities around the country for six or eight months, maybe that narrative wasn't totally true, which we will get to in just one second. But uh, first, got to tell you, you got to check out Ben's show today. He's going to be talking about the cancellation of Dr. Seuss. You thought, you thought it was bad enough when they canceled Gina Carano. I mean, they're going after Dr. Seuss now. Uh, go check that out. You also got to check out Ben and Daily Wire's newest series, Debunked, every Friday. Ben will expose popular fallacies purported by left-wing activists and politicians. In the first episode, which is now available to Daily Wire members, Ben debunks the myth of minimum wage. Debunked is available exclusively to Daily Wire members. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code debunked to get 25% off your new membership. And stay tuned for this Friday's episode where Ben will break down unions. That's code debunked for 25% off. We'll be right back with a lot more. The Hennepin County District Court in Minneapolis, which will be holding the trial of the officer involved in the death of George Floyd, has been, quote, ringed with concrete barriers, security fencing, and barbed wire. Uh, There is increased security in the area, including the Minneapolis police, Hennepin County Sheriff's deputies, Minnesota State Troopers, and the National Guard. What does this mean? It means they think that the cop is going to get off right? If the cop is going to have the book thrown at him, they're not going to need all this stuff. Maybe they will. Maybe there will be riots of celebration. But it seems to me all this security measures, all of these measures suggest that the narrative we were told about George, St. George Floyd, who I think the narrative being pushed by the mainstream media was George Floyd. He wasn't on drugs at the time. George Floyd, he didn't have a dodgy past. George Floyd, he wasn't resisting arrest. What the narrative was, George Floyd is innocent as the newly driven snow. And this cop basically brutalized him to death without any question. And maybe the cop acted inappropriately. I guess we'll find out in the trial. Maybe all of the things that George Floyd had been doing, including the drugs, most notably, maybe that didn't have any effect on his death. But the evidence we've seen so far from autopsies and other sort of evidence suggests that the story is much more complicated than the narrative would have led on. And maybe this cop is going to get off. Because I think Minnesota thinks that he's going to get off, the city of Minneapolis is hiring black social media influencers to push propaganda about the trial. This story came out just a few days ago. City city of Minneapolis would hire social uh, media influencers from local minority communities to help facilitate the spread of news and combat misinformation during Derek Chauvin's trial, uh, reportedly in the hopes to head off the unrest. Unrest, one of the most Orwellian words in our language. Unrest meaning violence and riots. This is just bribery right? This is just a sort of self-extortion. 
The city of Minneapolis is extorting itself and giving money to leaders in these communities to try to buy their goodwill and help uh, tell people in these communities not to riot and torch the whole city. Really a, a pathetic uh, dereliction of leadership from the city of Minneapolis uh, that they, they basically have to pay a tribute to these local communities not to burn down the whole city. The city of Minneapolis has since announced they're going to drop the plan. Just yesterday they came out, when this came to light, this elicited enough bad looks all around that they decided that they were going to drop it. But it's a, it's a bad state in our country where we have such a, an atrophied understanding of justice that city officials have to bribe local neighborhood leaders not to burn down the city. Ties into our understanding of justice when you've got a thruple that's permitted to create a child for the explicit purpose of denying that child the access to her mother, designer babies for their own selfish reasons to, to be put in a perpetual orgy of these three dudes. Speaking of justice, Merrick Garland, Merrick Garland looking a little more radical than some of us thought he was. Garland, as you know, was supposed to be the Supreme Court nominee that Obama put up to replace Antonin Scalia and cocaine Mitch held firm. And that's how we got more conservative judges. Garland then went back to his uh, regular judgeship. Now he's being pushed for the attorney general position in Biden's administration. When, when he was named, I thought, okay, well, could, could do a lot worse with these radicals. So Garland, okay, that's fine. His answers though have not impressed people. Ted Cruz, one of the people who was uh, questioning him, says that he's very disappointed in Garland's answers. He has built, built a reputation for not being overly partisan. And so I was hopeful that when Judge Garland came before this committee, that he would indicate a commitment to the rule of law and a commitment to standing up to the hard politicization and weaponization of the Justice Department that we saw during the eight years of the Obama-Biden administration. I have to say, Judge Garland's testimony before this committee and his subsequent answers to the questions for the record left me deeply, deeply disappointed. On question after question after question, Judge Garland refused to answer virtually anything. This is the key here. He wouldn't answer. So simple questions. He just wouldn't answer. He'd punt. He'd say, we're going to look at it. We've got to review it. This, this is the difference. The, the radical left, the openly radical left, like the AOC types, they just tell you exactly what they think. The moderate left, like the Joe Biden types, they don't tell you what they're going to do. But they're going to do the same thing. They're all going in exactly the same direction. Merrick Garland is probably the most moderate Biden nominee. And seems like he's a radical too. Jen Psaki doing the same thing. She was asked a simple question about what's going to happen to 600 to 800,000 migrants. And what's her answer? No answer. One other thing that the president of Mexico is expected to propose is an idea to bring uh, an immigrant labor, labor program to the U.S. that could bring 600 to 800,000 immigrants a year to work legally in the United States. Uh, is that something President Biden would consider? I, I've seen reports of that. I believe that's a step that would require Congress. Um, I'm sure we'll have a readout after uh, the bilateral meeting this afternoon, and they both will be speaking after it as well. 
sure, the, the measure might involve Congress, though frankly these days, since so much of the government is just run by the uh, executive agencies, it probably doesn't need to involve Congress. But just because it involves Congress doesn't mean that you can't give your opinion on it. If the matter involves Congress, that means that they're going to pass some law about it. And then the law has to be either signed or vetoed by Joe Biden. So Biden absolutely needs to give his opinion on this topic. He's going to have a very important role in it. So what's Biden's opinion about sending 800,000 Mexican immigrants each year to the United States to compete with American citizens for jobs, particularly with lower wage Americans for jobs? No answer. No answer because he knows that his answer Either way he answers is going to offend either his base or the, the conservatives, but that he's going to slowly push this policy. Immigration broadly, according to many public opinion surveys, is a winning issue for Republicans. The Democratic position on radical open borders immigration is very unpopular when you really d- drill down into the details. And so the Democrats are going to pursue it anyway because interest groups require them to and their electoral future is greatly advantaged by that but they're just not going to tell you about it. They're going to keep their mouths shut. Same thing. Uh, Saki was asked a question on the teacher unions, which for no scientific reasons are keeping the schools closed still. Jen Psaki said, has Biden, or rather, Jen Psaki was asked, has, has Joe Biden sold out America to these unions? No answer. One more question from uh, former President Trump mm-hmm. over the weekend speaking at CPAC. I heard he, that. He had I heard a quote. Yeah. He said... President Joe Biden sold out America's children to the teachers union. How does the White House respond to that? Uh, I think we're going to uh, uh, spend more of our time focused on communicating about our agenda for the American people than responding to uh, criticism from uh, the former president. This is not a terrible answer from Jen Psaki because what you want to do when you're asked a question like that is to control the narrative, right? Michael, do you still beat your wife? You know, you want to, there's no way to answer that directly. That doesn't make you look bad. No, I don't still beat my wife. Uh, or yes, I, well, what? Huh? Uh, so you want to control the narrative. You want to control the wording here. However, normally that strategy does involve smacking down the premise. So it, if the ideal answer to this question would have been, hey, what do you say to Trump who says that Biden sold out America to the teacher unions. Uh, listen, we got the biggest uh, su- amount of support from grassroots people who oppose the teacher unions. We got a lot of support from charter schools. We got a lot of support from parents associations. So uh, don't tell me about selling out America. And then maybe you punch back at Trump too. And you say, he took money from this group or that group, whatever. They didn't do that because they can't because Joe Biden sold out America to the teachers unions. So she's, there's really no good answer. And the teachers unions, they are as dishonest and uh, disreputable as they possibly could be. They've, they've never had a particularly good reputation, but now they're flaunting their own rules. The Berkeley Federation of Teachers president, Matt Meyer, has said that the teachers are not going back until we have the gold standard in Berkeley, California which means that all educators and staff have to be vaccinated. The schools have to enforce social distancing. They have to enforce mask wearings all the time. And until that basically impossible standard, teachers get paid vacation. That is the current line from the head of the Berkeley Teacher Union. Yet he just got caught on video taking his two-year-old daughter to an in-person preschool. 
because well, he doesn't want to have to deal with the consequences of his actions. You see, what he wants is the best possible deal for the teachers union, but he also knows that the arguments the teachers union are making right now, or the, the arguments the teachers union is making is, uh, they're ridiculous arguments. They're, they're crazy on the, on the virus. And he also knows that he wants to be able to send his kid to school. First of all, two-year-olds don't go to school. I know that it's very fashionable now among sort of hip yuppies to say that, oh yes, I'm going to send my 18-month-old to school. No, you're not. You're sending them to daycare. <laughs> school doesn't start until you're five and it's fine. You can like, if it makes you feel better to say, oh yes, you know, yes, my, my very advanced child is going to, he's taking advanced classes uh, for two-year-olds. Like, okay, fine, but it just, it's daycare just for... <laughs> <laughs> for uh, those of us who are interested in the reality of it. But it's obviously hypocritical. It shows that the unions are not actually worried. The unions do not care at all about the science of it all. They, they just want to get money for doing nothing. They're just lazy. This is why good teachers tend to hate the teachers' unions. Meanwhile, turning to higher education, the Harvard Business School Club of New York, so this is sort of alumni and faculty of the Harvard Business School, they have canceled an event that they were going to host. It was going to be an academic lecture, and the academic lecture was going to be on the topic of cancel culture. And because apparently the Harvard Business School Club of New York thinks that cancel culture is such a ridiculous topic, they're going to cancel the, ca the lecture on cancel culture. Say that three times fast. Uh, the speaker was going to be James Lindsay. I think, I have not, I think I've interviewed James Lindsay. Uh, he was one of the people involved in uh, exposing the kind of silliness of grievance studies. And uh, he was, uh, worked with Peter Bogosian. Now there's a big debate over cancel culture. And is this cancel culture? And is cancel culture even real? I, I just don't think, I've said it a couple times on this show, I don't think cancel culture is a helpful lens through which to view this situation. This is all about standards and power. This is all about having certain standards. Getting back to our story at the top of the show, the thruple, I think the thruple should be canceled. I think that they should not be permitted in polite society. I don't think they should be invited to fancy dinner parties. I think what they're doing is wicked and it's child abuse and it's deeply unjust and they need to get their act together before people accept this kind of insanity as acceptable. Am I therefore a proponent of cancel culture? No, any sensible person until about five minutes ago, any sensible person would have said that this is absolutely outrageous, wrong, and should not be tolerated by a just society. But now we've fallen for this trap and it's a trap I've also mentioned. It happens to be the thesis of my book, Speechless Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, which is when the left pushes political correctness, they do it to get rid of the old standards. And the only ways that conservatives ever react is we go along with the new left-wing standards or we abandon standards altogether. And we say, you do you, uh, there should be no limits on what we do or think or say or anything like that. And that just has no basis in American history. Bill Maher is getting a lot of credit right now because he's coming out and defending Gina Carano, my colleague. I never thought that I would have a colleague in political media who was an MMA fighter and a Disney movie star. <laughs> but hey, you know, this is a pretty weird time that we're living in. And Gina Carano was fired from Disney just for being a conservative, right? And they, they used 
as an excuse, some social media posts she'd made, but the, the social media posts were completely innocuous. They were inoffensive. They didn't, they didn't really say anything wrong at all. And so Bill Maher, who is a man of the left, is defending her and saying she shouldn't be canceled. And Bill Maher is doing this. This is very much in his wheelhouse because even though he's a left winger, he's always sort of opposed political correctness, or at least he thinks he does. He had, he hosted a show called Politically Incorrect. He's, he's, uh, not, not of the hard left, but he's not a conservative either. And he's making an argument that while I appreciate it, and I'm glad he's standing up for a conservative here against the left-wing mob, I don't think the argument is particularly effective. So Bill Maher is defending Gina Carano on the grounds that she did not deserve to be canceled. Take a listen. The Mandalorian's Gina Carano is a person I'd never heard of and resent that I have now. She's some conservative wrestling chick who kicks ass on a show I wouldn't watch if I was in prison. And she made some Nazi analogy. Who doesn't these days? You're like the Nazis is the new I don't like you. It's always okay with Trump the Nazi. That disqualifies her from marching around planet who gives a in a helmet. By the way, you can't work in Hollywood if you don't believe what we believe. Yeah, in the 50s, that's exactly what the left complained they were being told. So this is a funny bit. I laughed a couple times while, while watching it the first time. And I'm really, I really do appreciate that Bill would stand up for a conservative who's being canceled by the left-wing mob. But it's that argument there at the end that, that means I can't totally go along with him. He says, you know, in the 50s, this is what leftists complained about. And what he's referring to is anti-communism. And the anti-communism of the 1950s is something that has been totally rewritten by left-wing historians who are still trying to cover up the fact that they were defending the communists in, in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. This is sometimes called McCarthyism. And McCarthyism is sometimes conflated with blacklisting in Hollywood. Senator Joe McCarthy had absolutely nothing to do with Hollywood blacklisting. No person of any political persuasion, whether they love McCarthy or hate McCarthy, who has actually looked at the facts can say McCarthy had something to do with the blacklisting in Hollywood. McCarthy had nothing to do with HUAC, better known, or I suppose it's better known as HUAC now, but it, it ought to be known as the House Committee on Un-American Activities. What happened in the 1950s, and really more in the 30s and 40s, is that the Soviet government, our enemies in the Cold War, had spies placed throughout the federal government had very high level spies in the federal government. This is not a conspiracy theory. We know this. We ended up rooting out a couple hundred of them at least. Uh, the most notable one is Alger Hiss, who was a high level State Department official. He had been at the DOJ. He helped found the United Nations. He was directly working for the Soviet Union. He was a spy in, in the United States. If you want to read a good book about it, you can read Witness by Whitaker Chambers. At, at the time, this was a hotly debated political issue because the Republicans were the, the ones who were hardcore anti-communists here. And the communist problem festered during democratic administrations. In fact, the reason Dwight Eisenhower got elected was because of the, the backlash against Democrats going soft on communism. John F. Kennedy defended Joe McCarthy. Bobby Kennedy went to Joe McCarthy's funeral. It was absolutely right and just for the United States to root out communists in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. 
it was a matter of great national importance. Was that cancel culture? Sort of. You know, this is so crazy to me for the conservatives who just sort of maybe reflexively because they believe whatever they were taught in public school, the ones who decry McCarthyism, who buy the left's line on McCarthyism. Conservatives out of one side of their mouth will decry the cultural Marxism of Hollywood and the universities and say that we've got to take back the institutions and we can't let these leftists destroy our culture through Hollywood and through the universities. And then at the same time, they'll decry McCarthyism and cancel culture and say that we can never root out anybody. We just need to debate them in the free marketplace of ideas. When you say that we need to take back the institutions, take back Hollywood, take back the universities, what you are saying is we need to get the leftists out of those places. We need to censor them in a certain sense. We need to kick them out of their positions of influence on the basis of their ideological views. You are defending a sort of McCarthyism. But then on the other hand, you say, but we would never do that sort of thing. The leftists are the new McCarthyists. In reality, what happens is people defend their standards and no society is perfectly open. And nobody believes that if a guy walks up to his water cooler at the office with an armband of the swastika and screams Zig Heil, that he has any right to keep his job. And and the debate that's really happening right now is over which set of standards are we going to have? The good set of standards that defends America and defends our faith and defends our traditions and our way of life or the bad set of standards, which says America's evil and Americans should be divided and hate one another and uh, degenerate thruples should be able to create designer babies without any care for the child himself or herself. Which set of standards are you going to defend? Because if we have the good traditional moral version, then you can't have the thruple version. You actually have to exclude that. You have to say no, you have to cancel that. And it would be a very good thing to cancel that. Speaking of a guy who's getting canceled for weird sex stuff, Andrew Cuomo, I have to touch on this story. Andrew Cuomo is in trouble right now because of allegations of sexual harassment. A new video has resurfaced showing that Andrew Cuomo was harassing a reporter and told her to eat a sausage sandwich, a sausage hoagie at a New York political event. Take a listen. Will you eat the whole sandwich? I will eat the whole sandwich. Yeah. I don't know if I should eat the whole sausage in front of you, but I'm definitely going to eat it. No excuses. You know everyone, you know the county executive? I do. Now you're going to nominate a whole group of people. My daughter, Michaela. Hello. Can I take a selfie with you while I eat my sandwich? Oh, there you go. That's, I think that's a fair trade. Yeah, there's too much sausage in that person. It's not as easy to eat this in front of all these cameras as you make Well, that's right. That's your thing. Not only do you have to eat the sausage, that's but you all, have to... That's part of the, the being the governor, right? Well, there is a course when you get elected to office. They have a course called Eating on Camera. Okay. So this is now being blown up as a horrible sexual harassment. The woman says she didn't feel sexually harassed at all. She enjoyed it. Cuomo bought her a sausage and they made jokes about eating on camera, which is a real joke. If you talk to presidential candidates, they will tell you when you go to the Iowa State Fair, don't eat the corn dog. It just doesn't look good on camera. Andrew Cuomo should be canceled because he killed thousands of elderly New Yorkers and then covered up their deaths when the federal government was started poking into it. 
That's why he should be canceled. Maybe some of these sexual harassment claims are, are legit. I don't know. They seem kind of politically convenient right now. And this one seems kind of bogus to me. He's just, the, the reporter is perfectly happy. Uh, I, I'm all for getting rid of Andrew Cuomo. I think that's fine. He's, he's a bad governor. But it's a, it says something about our standards now, where if you kill thousands of elderly New Yorkers and cover it up because you know what a scandal it is, you're totally fine. But if you make a joke about a sausage at a political event, that's going to ruin your life. It shows us that something about our standards has gone awry. And maybe we're going to have to try to recover that. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Bory. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, Chris Cuomo realizes that covering his brother Andrew for CNN was a bad idea and Dr. Seuss is canceled. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Check it out. Hey, 